0: John chapter 8, as we get started this morning. And while the others are leaving, and we're just filling in or waking up ourselves, let me ask you a few questions here. Name a gift your spouse or family might give you that would be a big and pleasant surprise. A what? A new car. car? That'd be a surprise, Deb. Okay. uh, Anything else? Tools. Tools? (laughs) What else do you have? A car. Somebody mentioned car. Here's what they said. Jewelry, lots of money, gift cards, clothes, a new car, anything that might surprise us. Name things people would take with them to the beach. A chair, beach ball, towels. Sunblock? Okay. Here's what they said. Water, beverages, kids, flotation device, umbrella, surfboard, towel, and number one was sunscreen. 100 servers at restaurants. What makes a lousy customer? No tip tip is going to be number one. Demanding. Demanding? Complaining? (laughs) leave a mess. Here we go. Snap or clap your, clap or snap fingers at you. Return food to the kitchen, complain a lot, loud and obnoxious, rude speech, number one was bad or no tip. What parts of your house do you renovate? Kitchen's going to be up there. Bedroom, bathroom, basement. Here's a go. Basement, garage. Renovate the garage. That one caught me off guard. Okay. Bedrooms, laundry, laundry room. Is that often renovated? Okay. Okay, hey, you are way behind the times. Okay, um, the bathroom. What part? What are some yard projects that you do in the summer? Gardening. Gardening's there. Mowing. Plant Weeding, plant flower, mulching. Here's what they had. Weeding, put on fertilizer, edge of the lawn, trim hedges, mulch, number one is mow lawn. Uh, what part of the teen camp? Now, I asked the kids as we were wrapping up teen camp this week. We were asking, hey, what would you like about teen camp? What do you think they're comments were? What's that? Hershey Park was, was one of them. Recess. No, this is camp. Camp is recess the whole time. That's what camp is. Food, food they said. Spending time with friends. Basically the outings that were there, the foods, the games that they did, the friends, the preaching, and basically a lot of them said all of it. And so thank you so much. for That's a, that's a tremendous ministry that we get to do. And we get to do it right here. And it's very unique that we can do it in our facility. But thank you for making that a possibility. We're in Conversations of Christ. We're in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, 7 and 8, where we left off last week, this is Jesus being taken, um, Jesus is preaching in the, uh, in the feast, and they bring a woman who was taken in the act of adultery to him. So we pick up in John chapter 8, and we get the scenes and the conversation. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. So, what's that talking about? Okay, he had preached the, night be, the day before. It's uh, towards the end of his ministry. It's, in the la- it's around October, so he die- he's going to die in March or April. And so what happens is he's there. He's preaching at the annual feast. The feast is taking place after he taught in the temple all day in John 7. What happens is he leaves and he goes and spends the night. Probably the, the suggestion is that he might have gone out to the Garden of Gethsemane because it says later on that they frequented that place. And so he's real popular with the crowds, but already the leaders want to get rid of him. And they're conniving how to get rid of him. And By the end of this story, they want to stone him. And so he leaves, comes back the next morning uh, with the disciples, and he gets into this conversation that starts, he went out into the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he comes again to the temple and all the people came to him. He sat down he taught them. The scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery when they had set her in the midst. And they said to him, this woman was taken in the very act. What they're trying to do is they're trying to lay a trap for him. And we talked about this last week when we made these observations that this woman who was brought, is, the law said she's supposed to be killed. She's supposed to be stoned if, if guilty. And again, if you find somebody guilty, you take them to the civic authorities. They in, interrogate. It wasn't mob rule. Let's not just run off and say people could just haul somebody out and kill them. That wasn't the concept in in Bible days, in the Old Testament uh, law. And so they bring this woman and they're challenging Jesus and notice how they said it. It's very interesting the way they phrased it. They said unto him um, Master, this woman is taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that we should be, that such should be stoned. What do you say? And so they're trying to pit Jesus against the law. Okay, that's where they're going. They're trying to see if he's going to agree with it. And so the intent behind this is they're trying to trap Jesus. If he says, kill her, or if he says, let her go, what are they going to say afterwards? Let's do the first one. If he says, kill her, what are they going to accuse him of? Not Not caring. Okay. What else could they accuse him of? What's that? He's not the Messiah that he claimed. They're gonna And remember, right at this point, what are people calling him? They're calling him the friend of sinners. Okay, and so they're going to, they're, and they're, he's popular with crowds because of his compassion. And so they can attack it. They could also accuse him of a legal crime. Who's in control of the region? The Romans. What can't the Jews do? They can't execute. So if Jesus advocates for execution, they can accuse him of taking authority and trying to be treasonous against Rome. Now, if he says, don't kill her, what are they obviously going say to say about him? He's not obeying the law. Obeying the law and they're going, to, they're going to accuse him. So they think they've got him totally trapped, backed into the proverbial corner. And Jesus... Jesus, his response is interesting, okay? That what happens is, this they said, tempting him, verse verse 6, that they might accuse him. Jesus doesn't say anything. He stoops down with his finger, wrote on the ground, as though he heard them not. So they continued asking him, and then he get, lifts up himself and he responds. So initially he's just kind of ignoring, but they keep up. They keep up. They're nagging him. They're, they're berating him. They're badgering him. And so then when Jesus, after he finally gets up, he that is without sin among you, let him cast, first cast the stone. By the way, in the Old Testament law, the way they made application is the accuser was supposed to be the one who was supposed to uh, instigate the stoning by being the first one to cast the stone, or be there and um, and be basically advocating for this. So if you're going to accuse somebody, you've got, you're involved in the capital punishment itself. That would that would cause some to hesitate. And so basically, if you're kill, if you're executing somebody, you're taking part. You better make sure that personally you yourself are. Yeah, you're, with the, you're basically not being a hypocrite in this thing, okay? And so, and, and, he, and the idea here, with yet he's who without sin, isn't the idea of, okay, we've got to find a sinless person to do it. It's the idea you're not being hypocritical in what you're accusing this person. And so, he returns to writing in the sand, and we're going to pause. What did we say proves in this text that those who brought this woman to him, that they were all hypocrites, they're accusing him. They're trying to get him to say, you don't follow the law. What in this passage tells you they weren't following the law? What's that? They didn't bring the guy. If she's caught in the act, there's a, there's a partner here. Okay. So they don't bring the guy. So uh, they, you know, they're, they're, not, they're not following the law. They're trying to trap Jesus. And and again, we talked about this. And Bob, you brought it up when you said about he might have written down their sins um, in the sand. We don't know exactly, but that is a suggestion. The suggestion is that maybe even some of these guys, they complicitly arranged this scenario for this woman to be caught in adultery that one of their cronies was the guy and they offered protection. We, We don't know any of that. But we know that, it, that they weren't following the law. <clears throat> we know that they were violating it. And so when he says basically, you who are following the law in this matter, okay, then you cast the first stone is his concept here. What do they do? What does the next verse say? What happens to these people? They disperse. They disperse. And it gives us a little bit of more information. It, it goes it's interesting. It goes from the oldest to the youngest. Why, why would that be? Why might that be? Human nature question. Why might the older ones not, would they would start walking away first? They might have been the authority. They might have been the ones who really connived in this. They might be more aware of their own foibles and feebles. They might not be as zealous as a younger person. We don't know, but it's interesting John adds that. And I don't know why he adds it. You probably have more insight. But they, they go away quietly, and the point is they're accusing Jesus, they're trying to get Jesus to say he goes against the law. And they themselves obviously violated the law. So they're without sin. They're being hypocritical. We paused last week and we said, okay, taking just this part of the story so far, What does this tell us about Jesus? And we made a few observations we want to build upon. He's not against God's word. We made that clear. He was in fact, when he gave the Sermon on the Mount, he said, I am not come to destroy the law and the prophets, but I am come to Okay, so he's all for the law. We pointed out as well, he's not intimidated by pressures the social pressures of the Jewish leadership trying to put him in a bad scenario. He's going to stay with truth, with principle, no matter what. We made this observation. He was merciful when it wasn't deserved. Pooch, you came up afterwards and you made comment again, just reiterating it, God is so merciful. I mean, can't we just say amen, amen, amen? God is so merciful to, to this woman, but what we sit here and say, not only to the woman, God was merciful to, yeah, all of us, all of us can see ourselves in a mirror on this one. Here's, uh, he was not soft on sin. Do you remember why we made this observation? He said she could be stoned, right? And then what does he tell her afterwards? Okay, So we're going to come up to that in a second. He was not saying or suggesting and this is, this is where one of these texts they twist what Jesus said and they said okay this is saying we're never supposed to judge people. It's wrong to judge people. The passage never even goes that way. okay? It never even suggests that but uh, Jesus never said it's wrong to judge people. But we know and this is an illustration of it. It's wrong to judge others if we are being hypocritical. Okay. Uh, So that's good. Let's do this one. We stopped here. Jesus is insistent that those, bless you, those who are forgiven should not continue in sin. I want to take a few minutes because we need this. We all need this one to talk about. Okay, where Jesus in the story, as it goes a little bit farther, when he had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, woman, where are your accusers? Has no man condemned you? And she says, no man. He says, neither do I condemn you. There's mercy. Go and sin no more. Okay, so let's let's think this through. Okay, Jesus is insistent that those who are forgiven of sin, that they don't go on. And what's interesting, he doesn't tell the woman, you got to walk with me and stay with me. He doesn't tell the woman in order to what you need to do is you need to go and become, go into a monastery or a convent or some type of place and isolate yourself from the world. He doesn't say that, okay? He doesn't say to the woman you need to... Do you, do you know what I mean by pillar saints? Do you remember those from history? They would literally have little mountain peaks or they would build pillars and people would live up there. And they would stay up there for weeks, for months. And the reason was... Okay, it ended up being everybody could see him, but their motive supposedly was, okay, to avoid temptation. I'm going to get up on this thing, and I won't be tempted. but, But, Larry, let's just go with what you said. What would be the greatest temptation by sitting up there and having everybody... You know, pride. Yeah, everybody's seeing you and how, oh, you sacrifice and suffer so much. But uh, these pillar saints you know, did that, and we, and we know that that's a problem. He's, but Jesus doesn't say anything other than, Lady, go live your life, but don't continue to live in sin. And so we know this is true. Not only can any and all sins be forgiven, but any and all sins can be overcome. His point to this woman is, you can overcome any type of temptation. Okay, and so let's expand this. Let's help ourselves for just a few moments. This isn't in this text, but from other teachings of Jesus and the apostles, what must we do in order to overcome temptations to sin? Let's let's keep it in mind. We've got besetting sins, and we all do according to Hebrews. Every one of us has at least one besetting sin. Some of us We feel like we've got the corner on besetting sins. There's so many in our lives. So what do we need to do in order to overcome sin? Any thoughts? Okay, we need to submit to God. Anything else? We've got to take the sword of the Spirit. I am so glad somebody brought it up. We just (laughs) preached on it last Sunday. Thank you, Bob. Okay, just for that, I owe you. Um, I don't know what, but I owe you. Uh, Okay, we need the Word of God. Anything else that we need to do? Need to pray about. It? You got any Bible Bible passage to back that one up? There's several. We're gonna. It's gonna come up in a few moments. I didn't know if you knew something off top. Um, Jesus with Peter. Satan desires to sift you, but you need to be praying. Okay. Anything else that we can do? What's that? Spend daily time with the Lord. Okay. Anything else that we can do? Surround yourself with God. Hey, I don't even need to teach this lesson. You've got everything so far. Anything else? Okay. Um, Make no, the verse, make no provision. Okay, you've covered everything that I was talking about. And and what I was going to mention is there's all kinds of ingredients in cookies that are really good when they're all mixed. Probably by themselves, flour isn't so good. The eggs just, you know... Just raw eggs, ETH, okay, the vanilla. But what it makes, yeah, they just, oh, that's just gross. They just slide down better. That's just gross, okay. I suppose you like clams and oysters. Ugh, that's on the level of coconut. You just, oh, slimy. You can tell I don't like slime. Anyway, um, so you mix the things together and you get cookies. You know, uh, uh, one of the five food groups, okay and so you, it's that same thing Is some of this stuff doesn't work real well in and of itself but when it's mixed together it is fantastic and so we know this and this is, this is where we need to start with the book of Romans reckon yourselves in Romans 6 remember he's talking about he says you've got to reckon in your mind it, the battles always start right here do they not whether we're going to give in or not, it's all up here. And so to reckon is to take into account that he is a merciful, faithful high priest in things pertaining that he has suffered, being tempted, that he may. Do you remember what the word sucker to them that are tempted? Anybody remember what the word sucker means? It's an old English word, but remember what it is? To run to the cry. To run to the cry. Literally. It's like the parent who, in the middle of the night, hears the child cry, What do you do? Well, I kick my wife, okay, and and give her the subtle hint to run to the cry, okay? But usually, when your kid really calls out and your kid has that panic cry, do you remember those? Then what do you do? Ah, they're just fake, no. We run to the cry. That's the word literally. Jesus runs to our cry. He was in all points tempted yet without sin. Therefore let us come boldly that we find mercy. Why? When? Because he's gone through it. So we reckon that Christ can help us to deliver out of temptations because greater is he that is within you and I can do all things through Christ. You and I can overcome our besetting sins. We can. We can. So we need to, first of all, reckon that in our minds, and then we do what you guys said. Saturate yourself with scriptures, because the more scriptures we put into our mind and our heart, the more resistance power we have in order to overcome those temptations. So we need to read it, listen to it, meditate on it, memorize it. Um, Let me encourage you, singing Bible is really, really helpful singing the word of God, singing hymns that are loaded with good doctrine. Why do I say that? Because so will I sing praise unto your name forever that I may perform my vows. Music is a powerful tool. You know that. And so have good music in your memory as well. For the pray over the victories, Mike, you mentioned this, and this is the passage I referred to. He says that you need to pray that your faith fail not, pray that you enter not into temptation. We even pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from it. Watch for those vulnerable moments. I think Danielle, you brought this up. That enter not in. No, you brought up the godly people. Um, enter not into the path of the wicked. And so Proverbs four makes it very clear that we need to uh, stay away from those opportunities that so easily beset us. Here's the godly people idea. In Proverbs chapter one, the whole t- passage is about being fruitful and not walking in the counsel of the ungodly. And so we look at it and say, okay. If there's a problem, somebody has a problem with drinking. Stay away from the bars. That's a no-brainer. Stay away from people who are drinking. You got a problem buying too much? Stay away from you know putting yourself in those spots. Don't take all your credit cards with you. If you've got whatever the issue is, okay. Uh, Marriage is amazing to me. How some people, when they get into marriage conflicts, they seek counselors who agree with them, not who advise biblically. Do you ever run into that? Do you ever see that? People who just find p- others who will approve what they're doing. Not say, here's what the word of God says. And so you got, want to be careful in all these, the, all these areas. Then um, number six, fill your time with godly activities. This, we didn't say it, but it's based on, on Ephesians chapter 4 where he says, put off the old man and do What? put on the new man. It's the principle of replacement. It's that idea that if we don't replace our time, if we say this, um, let's pick one. Um, I hang around with my buddies, my buddies and I, we typically like to you know, have the beers and hit the bars and I, I don't want to do that anymore. That's just leading me down a wrong path. So I'm not going to do the beers and the bars with my buddies anymore. I'm just going to stay at home. What's going to happen within days? You're going to go back to it. Why? Staying isolated at home, you're going to be lonely. Let's, let's be frank about it. There is companionship in the beers and the bars. Okay? There's a social provision there. And so you've got to replace it. So what would you replace it with? How about Christian fellowship? Get together with other believers and develop those new friendships. But you got to replace it. And he says, flee those things, but follow after righteousness, godliness, and all the positive. Now, everything we've said so far are dealing with how to prevent, prepare for the temptations. What happens when the temptation comes? One thing we have to do is run. Flee the youthful us. Who's our classic example in Scripture? Joseph, when he is a young man tempted to have an adulterous situation with Potiphar's wife, nobody's going to know. She's not going to squeal on him. He's got the opportunity. There's no family. There's no friends. He could do it, but he fled out of the room uh, because it was wrong. When tempted, resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's a very, very simple but very hard to do for every one of us, especially with our besetting sins. So the lessons we take away from this one story is you can be forgiven of any and all sins. That's the woman taken in adultery. It's a wonderful story. Tremendous story. But also you can overcome any and all sins in your life. Tremendous truth for us who are believers. Let's pick up another story. Let's pick up a story that's close by in time and in the passage. Go to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. This is a tremendous story. You all know it. It's familiar, but there's a whole lot that leads up to the raising of Lazarus. And so what's going to happen in this passage is this family is facing tragedies. Have you ever had what's called a bad day? Any of you ever have those? Like this poor mouse caught in an old typewriter. That's he's having a bad day. Okay. Or here's a bad day. That's a bad day. Okay. That's just plain that that's just you know that's just a horrible situation for the poor guy. How about this one? Porcupine fell from a tree and fell on her head. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, here's one. <laughs> she either tried to get out too soon, or she didn't. You know, somehow she didn't make it. Okay, it'd be a tough. The moment you realize you grabbed the wrong spray for your lawn. (laughs) It's a a bad day. That's a bad day. I proposed to my girlfriend and proceeded to drop the ring down a gopher hole. Ugh. Ugh. This poor kid. (laughs) Yeah. the thrill of going <laughs> doesn't your heart just go on you want to you take it off the hook for him okay any of you have a hammock in your backyard yes no don't well if you do don't do this <laughs> it's just it's not a good day it's not a good day for these people okay so in John chapter 11 it's not a good day for Mary and Martha. Okay, the story starts off and you know the setting. It's in the last weeks of Jesus, weeks of Jesus ministry. And so things are winding down, and he's headed towards, uh, towards uh, Jerusalem. We know where he's headed for. The Jewish leaders have put out a warrant, basically, for his arrest. They want to kill him. And so they're, they're, they're aggressively trying to get rid of him. Yes, when he gets to the city, he's going to speak in the temple for several days. But now it's, it's open hatred that they have for him, and they want to kill him. And so Jesus is traveling in that direction and while he's traveling he gets the communication, okay, that his one friend, Lazarus, who we know from the story, Jesus stopped there at times. Lazarus is very ill. So they send him a text of ancient, uh, ancient ways that he gets the message, Lazarus is ill. And they don't say in it they don't say anything about you've got to come. So basically what they just say is the one whom you love is ill. Implication is come. And they fully expect him to come right away. Do you remember what happens in the story? Does Jesus go right away? No. What's he wait? Okay, he waits several days. Okay. And in that conversation while he's having with his disciples, he makes some statements that are profound statements. When he heard of it, verse 4, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. What has he just done with popular teachings today about illness? There are, is there popular teaching today that says, illnesses, All illness is of the devil? Yes, it's a popular teaching. And if you have enough faith, you will never... You'll never get sick, you'll never run out of money, you'll never have problems. Okay, does that, is that true? Okay, I mean, do you have all the money in the world that you need plus some? Do you ever have illness? Okay, and so what Jesus has done in that statement, very important theologically, he has just countered all the faith healers that say sickness, it's, it's God's will that nobody ever gets sick. That's just not true. That is not true. This isn't the only story. John chapter 9 opens up with the same thing, with the lame man. And they said, who did sin, this man or his parents? And Jesus says, this is for the, it was the blind man. I'm sorry, did I say lame? It was the blind man. This is for the glory of God. And so please, don't get caught up in that foolishness, that health and wealth and prosperity gospel. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's just not biblical. Can God bring sickness in, in, into our life? yeah does he at times yeah yeah can, is can he can he allow poverty in our life? sure, illnesses, anything yeah, and uh, it 's not to hurt us, it 's to help us, in fact, some of us, the reason that he doesn 't give us too much money is we' wouldn't, <laughs> yeah we wouldn 't handle it right, and so God knows god 's very gracious in that regard, so he says this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. And then after he makes that comment, what does he explain to the disciples right away? Do you have anything recorded that he says right away? Says, Let's pick up verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and and his sister Lazarus. When he heard therefore that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that, then he says, so he doesn't give anything for two days. He doesn't talk about it or if he does it's not recorded that there's no other conversation then he says verse 7 let us go into Judea and the response of the disciples is if we go to Judea they're going to kill us they're going to kill us okay this is dangerous and is it dangerous or are they exaggerating it's dangerous. It's dangerous. We know that it's dangerous because as the stories have just finished up, they're they're seeking to kill him. So Jesus purposely waits. Then he announces he heads. And the disciples are hesitant because, and if you go to the previous chapter, it says that they're trying to kill him. And so they know if they go. and, And their concern is if they kill Jesus, we'll go too. Okay, and so it's very legitimate that they are because of the danger that's posed by the Jewish leaders. And so they remind Jesus in verse 8 that um, they sought to stone you the last time we were there. You want to go again? Jesus makes a comment, okay? I want to make sure I'm right where, yeah, right where I want to be. Are there not 12 hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbles not because he sees the light of this world. If a man walk in the night, he stumbles because he's, there is no light. What's he mean by that? This this passage is one of those befuddling verses for me. What's he mean by that? Anybody have an, an answer? Is he talking spiritual walk? I'm asking. It's a possibility. Possibility. What do you? What else? What do you have any ideas? Okay so is the light being in the will of God? Okay. Then what's that mean? In light of, in light of, now keep it in context. Okay. Okay. In context, what's been the conversation? There's danger. There's danger for you if you go to Jerusalem. So in the will of God is there a safety? To a greater degree there is even if it means you're going to lose your life, there's still a safety in the will of God, right? Um, so I think that's what he's, because remember what he's been saying up to this point, my hour is not yet come, my hour is not yet come. He's mentioned that several times. And so it's still daytime for him. It's still not the nighttime. It's still not the end of his, the end of his ministry, the end of the day. So while it's still daytime, let's go. Let's go. All's good. Okay, we're still walking in daytime. When the nighttime comes, that could be a, that's going to be a more dangerous time, and it's going to be a more dangerous time for the for him and the disciples when his ministry is done. Yes, he, he's gonna he's gonna suffer, he's gonna die. The disciples are fearful, and there's nighttime, especially from his his um, his crucifixion until when does when does daybreak spiritually come resurrection. The resurrection. So in that regards he says let's go. We're, we're, we're okay because we're in the will of God. It's still daylight. Then he says I'm going to wake him out of sleep. And the disciples response and this is, this is important just because historically the disciples response is well if he's sleeping he's okay. He's okay. It's a good thing. And Jesus then says he's going he's gonna to clarify a new, a new phrase here. He's he's dead, and so Jesus now, uh, and from here on out, it becomes the euphemism that basically somebody is sleeping becomes a euphemism uh, that's going to be used several times in scriptures beyond this point that comes up in um, you know, those who are sleeping referring to those who have passed away. And so Jesus is just introducing some language that is important for us to remember and to know what he's talking about. He makes another statement that to some of us it seems odd. It's in verse 15 where he makes the comment um, I'm glad for your sakes I was not there. That seems kind of harsh. If Mary and Martha heard him say that, what might they say? He doesn't care. Okay, what's he mean by this? Okay, is there benefit that's going to take place in Lazarus's death? Okay, God's going to use it. This is, remember he's already said this is for the Glory of God. What's he teaching them now on a practical basis? The glory of God, how does it apply to the disciples? He says it in verse 15. <clears throat> it's God's will, but what does he say is going to happen for them? They're going to believe. It's going to increase their faith. Okay, so, so here we, we get a biblical principle. Do, does God allow trials to increase our faith? Okay, so for the glory of God, it's a benefit. Okay, (coughs) so he's making it very clear that some benefits going to come out in the lives of the disciples, not just the same. And so in that sense, Jesus is is illustrating for us, he is more concerned about our growth than our gladness. We might say he's more concerned about our holiness than our happiness. Okay, and so it's, it's a really profound passage where he's teaching some uh, truth. What does the story tell you about the disciples? Up to this point, what does it tell you about them? Several things stand out. They still lack faith. Now, put it in its context. What, what has he been doing the last 18 months of his ministry? I've mentioned it but I don't know if you remember it. Yeah, but in particular who's he focused on the last 18 months? The disciples. He's preparing the disciples for his, his departure. And they're all set. They are bastions of faith. No? What else does it teach you about them? They still don't fully get it. In fact, they won't even get it, it'll only come, even in the upper room, they still don't get it. And it's the night before what else does it teach you about them? We've probably covered the, the biggest one. Were they intimidated by earthly things? Yes. Yeah, okay. So we know they're not super saints. By the way, I'm saying this because I find great encouragement in this. I don't maybe nobody else does. But in my mind. When I read about the apostles and I read about the Davids and I read about, I get in my mind, you you probably never do this, but I put them on this pedestal that they are super saints. They had something extra that made them so profound. And then I read passages like this and I'm not rejoicing in their problems, but I am rejoicing in their problems in the sense that it gives me hope. That there's hope. <laughs> They're not super saints. <clears throat> they experience hesitation and fears. They were devoted, they were devoted, but negative at times. None of us would ever do this. None of us would see the problems rather than the blessings. Okay. Um, what about this? They often wondered, doubted, asked questions. Even Mary and Martha. Do, do you remember Mary in Mary and Martha's story from weeks before? Who was commended in that story, Mary or Martha? Mary. Why? What did Mary do? She sat at his feet and learned. And what was uh, what was Martha busy doing? Yeah, she was making the meal and you know, doing all the, the the stuff behind the scenes and just busy for the Lord. Where you know so busy for the Lord, she didn't have time to sit and talk with the Lord, and just the opposite. For Mary was just the opposite. So she's commended in that account. And yet you go into the story. Look, jump down a little bit. When he finally shows up, (coughs) Martha makes a comment. Verse 22. I know that even now whatsoever you, oh, let's back up. Verse 21. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Well, she has faith. Is she accurate though? he could still have died, okay, and then she says, but I know that even now whatsoever you will ask of God, God will give it, she has faith but she's confused even to a degree, and, uh, and ba- I'll, I'll come to her confusion in a few moments uh, basically they're asking him and Martha and Mary are going to do it you know, here's the questions that could come up, okay, why did you let this happen to Lazarus? You loved him. Why did you let him have this illness? You love Mary and Martha. Why do you let them suffer through? And isn't that true? (coughs) The people when they go through illness, it's not just the person who's ill that suffers. It's the family. It's the family that aches. And sometimes, even more so because the family can't do anything. They just have to stand and watch. And Lord if you really cared why didn't you come right away? You know, why'd you delay? And he could have come. Okay? But he delayed and you know, and if she heard him say this sickness isn't unto death, what are you talking about? You know, my brother died. And if only and it happens, she's not the only one. Martha does the same thing. Uh, Mary does the same thing when she comes. If only you had been here. What's the what is what is wrong with her thinking when she says if only you had been here? He, would, you know, he wouldn't have died. Okay, there's a couple different things. Go ahead. Can God work long distance? Did Jesus ever do miracles long distance? He did. He did. Uh, was that basically what you were saying? Okay, same thought. Okay, he didn't have to be present and you know, it's almost as if it's too late. When is it too late for God? Okay, so we, we know those truths. So, <clears throat> when, we, when we did this study here, we did this on one of our weekly Bible studies, and the, this was right at the beginning of COVID, that some of us got together and did this. <coughs> was there lots of questions at COVID time, when it first came out? Oh, did, you, did you think, or did you run into people, why did God allow a pandemic? Okay? And the suggestions were right away, it's the judgment of God upon an evil world. By the way, is the world evil? Yes. Okay. And then there's, excuse me, I have them in my pocket. Just so I, if I take a fresh one, I'm going to choke on it. Until I can get it smooth. So um, there's also not those questions. Anyway, here's what we're going to do. We're, we want to get to this spot. This story is one of the seven stories, and it's all written to help increase belief. Okay to help people to grow in their faith. We talked about that already. And he makes a comment. He says this is to help out the disciples' faith. So he repeats it to Martha. He talks to the disciples. This is all about increasing your faith. (coughs) From this story, in this story, what does it teach you about Jesus that would help you and me in our faith? What facts stand out about Jesus? Let's focus on him. Stand out about him in this story that would increase our faith? I'm going I'm to suggest them to you, okay? In this sense, Jesus knows. In the middle of trials, Jesus knows. You fill in the blanks. What so far have we read that indicates Jesus knows? What does he know? He knew Lazarus was, was dying or dead. And he was long distance. What else does he know? He knows what he's going to do. What else does he know? What's going to bring glory to the Father? What else does he know? What's that? Okay. Uh, who do you, what do you mean by that? You're, you're right on target. That was, I was looking for that one as well. Okay. Can we back that up even before? Not only does he know how we would react, but he knows what we need Okay, in our lives. So we look at this and say, okay, Jesus knows the outcome. He knows how to use the situations. He knows that all trials are not bad. He knows how to use them for good. He knows where we need to grow. He knows what is going on in our lives at the moment all the time. He knows the best timing. Now, to me, the best timing for everything is yesterday. okay, now yeah, I was waiting for you to say something, but the, um, the timing was off. anyway, so we does does God make us wait at times? Is that good for us? No. I want it. Yeah. So he knows the timing. So we we put this all together. He knows if a delay is better for us than answering a prayer right away. I don't like that. But it's biblically true. God knows the spiritual condition of everyone who's present. Oh, That's towards the end of the story. Remember when he stands there? And he lifts up his eyes and he says in verse 41, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you hear me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it that they may believe. He knows the condition of even the lost people around us that we're in contact with. God knows. He knows what words to use. So in any trial, is this helpful for us to pause and say, God knows? Yes or no? That's a tremendous truth. God knows. Now, let's fill in this one, okay? And we could talk about this whole idea of what's happening with COVID, and we could give the, let's do this second one, God cares. What in this story tells you God cares? Okay, he, when He comes, He tries to comfort Mary and Martha. What else? He weeps. This, this passage is the passage has the shortest Bible verse. When He gets to the graveside, Jesus... What else shows his care? Great stuff so far. Keep it up. He goes there. Okay? Because if he goes, what's the, what's the threat? From a human perspective, he's going to die. Okay? He knows that he, he's not walking in darkness yet. It's not nighttime. But from the disciples' perspective, do they understand all of his timing? No. No. Do we understand all of his timing? No. No. So he goes and let's see what else we have. Multiple times we read about love between Jesus and and Lazarus and the family. He showed love when it was risky that he even goes there. He shows love by weeping at the tomb. There's another emotion that's, that's given in this text. It's interesting. Let's go down to where he gets to the tomb. Um, Oh, let's see. Verse 33. When Jesus therefore saw her, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. I'm in verse 33. Does anybody have that last phrase? My, my, uh, my translation has, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Does anybody have something different? What do you have? You are using a phone? How can you use a phone and be spiritual? <laughs> I couldn't resist. Sorry, Mike. Okay, he was deeply. He was what? He was deeply moved in the spirit and greatly troubled. He was moved in the and greatly troubled. anybody have another translation for that phrase? Bob, what do you have? A deep anger up him. He was yeah, they, they, this is the this is the only time it's used of Jesus. Okay, this idea that first phrase. Where it says he was deeply moved, he was deep. It has the idea of being really angry. It's like the horses that are snorting, just hm, type of an anger, that you would hear somebody just kind of hm, and express it. What was he upset about? Why was he stirred to anger? Their lack of faith. Whose lack of faith? Okay, let me let me back up, Jim. Before you do that, he's he's at the he's by the by there in town, headed for the tomb. People are weeping and wailing. Okay, in their in their funeral services, if you don't have genuine weepers and wailers, you hired them. You hired them, and they listed out what you need a minimum uh, was in the rabbinic rules. And so there's a lot of when, he's, when you when come to a funeral, you're you're hearing. When we usually go to viewings and funerals, what's the, what's the norm? Quiet, silent, reserved. There it would be vocal, extremely vocal, because the louder, the better, because we show we really, we're, we're mourning really intensely. So you're walking into this, you put yourself with Jesus, you're walking in, you're hearing this, you're seeing this, Mary and Martha are distraught. They have both said to you, "If only you had been here." And Jesus gets angry. So, with who, when, with that in mind, at whose faith is in question? Are you saying he could be upset with him? particularly Martha, and- Mar- Martha and Mary? Martha and that's that's a possibility. What other things could he be upset about? Go ahead. I mean, the there, like, friend, didn't care about. Oh yes. Yeah. They accuse him, right? They say, oh, look how, he, look how he loved him. He's crying. If only he had come earlier. In other words, who are they blaming? Okay, okay. That's a possibility as well. Go ahead, Anna. Okay. Mm-hmm. You've, you've got two thoughts going there that are, that are excellent and again we don't know the final answer could it be a combination one is just the human nature in response to death De- could he be angry at death because death is a result of sin I mean can he be angry at the scenario the entire this doesn't have to be this way Okay, is that a, it, you, what you were suggesting? As well as just the reaction of people, okay, this whole thing. So, anybody else have another thought? Is there anything else he might be upset about? Some have said, go ahead. Oh, okay. Okay, okay, could, if you didn't hear what she was saying, um, she was, Patty was suggesting, it could be the hypocrisy, the emptiness of the Jewish crowd, being there and going through the ritual without real compassion for the family. Okay, that could be, that could be real. That could be some of it. Um, Could it be because the Jewish people, and even had a conversation with Mary Martha, that they were doubting the resurrection? Some preachers suggest this. That he was really ticked that he has to bring Lazarus back. Yeah, yeah. You know, is Lazarus better off uh, if if Lazarus had passed and gone to paradise? Is Lazarus better off than coming back? Yeah. So there's there's all these different possibilities that are profound. Okay, um, that is just you know. And there's where the information about how many, how many whalers you have to have. Patty, you were suggesting some of this, I think, the emptiness uh, of that suggestion. The, um, the hopelessness, the lack of understanding, I think most of you said. And like I said, some suggest bringing Lazarus back. But the point is, he was moved emotionally. Is there anything wrong with emotions? Was God emotional? Yes. And so he had had emotions at this point <clears throat> that are very interesting. So we have that Jesus showed that he cared in increasing their faith. And this is this is a very, very important thought. It is hard to let someone you love go through any difficulty even though you know it will help them in the long run. As a parent is this hard to do with your kids? Oh absolutely. Absolutely. Is this hard to do with somebody you're very close to? You know that you can't take away their problems and It's a good thing. But you don't want them to go through it. But if you love, you have to let people stumble at times. Does that make sense? They have to go through hardships. Um, And again, we don't push them down to go through it, but we're there. But it's very important when we come to this. God's love is not pampering, but it's a perfecting love. So he has he knows, he cares. Let me add this last one. He works. Okay? so in the middle of trials I know he cares I know he knows and the question is where is God in the middle of trials he's here he's here uh, we're, we're not going to have time to develop it but just throw it out how does Jesus work in this trial you know the outcome okay I mean what, what's the final outcome what, what work does he do he raises Lazarus but he also does other works. He saves souls. Let's just stop there. We'll pick up. But keep in mind, he, Jesus knows, Jesus cares in the middle of the trials that you face over these next couple of weeks. And we'll come back and resume when we get back to this topic. Thanks.